Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's not like some white woman could have come along to you and been like, so Elise, like, I'm starting this group for you. <laughs> this is what like, you need. Um, go away. <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> you know me. Yeah. You're listening to Feminists Don't Wear Pink, the podcast, based on the book Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, a collection of writing by 52 women on what feminism means to them. I'm Scarlett Curtis. I'm a writer, activist, journalist, and very, very proud feminist. I'm also the curator of this book and the presenter of the podcast. During this series, I'm going to be talking to a few of the amazing contributors who've written our book to find out how they found their feminism and some of the lies that they've been told about what it means to be a woman. My guest today is filmmaker and activist Elise Fox. I met Elise when I was living in New York and she showed me a short film she'd made about her mental health journey. A week later, Elise founded Sad Girls Club. Sad Girls Club is an online platform created to bring together girls with mental illnesses with the goal of removing the negative stigma that surrounds mental health conversations, providing mental health services to girls who don't have access to therapy and treatment, and creating an in-real-life, judgment-free community for young women so they know they're not alone. I've been hanging out with Sad Girls Club for the past year and watched it grow into the most incredible group for powerful and extraordinary underrepresented girls to find community and help each other. Hi, Elise. Hi, Scarlett. Nice to see you in London. Lovely to see you always. My ultimate life goal is to make you move here. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> you are like convincing me. I'm like at 80% right now. So yeah, keep I'm, up the good work. I'm recruiting. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, so I wanted to talk a bit about your piece in the book, which is amazing, and it's called Finding Feminism. Um, when did you first realize you were a feminist? It wasn't until in my adult age, I would say within the past like three to four years, I never could relate to the word feminism, and I really had to like step back and study and see where I kind of fit in to find feminism. Yeah, and I think I really like how you say that in the book, as a black woman living in America, you found it really hard to relate your understanding of feminism to women like you because the women that you were looking at didn't seem like you and they, you know, they were white women and white feminists. How have you kind of aligned that with your present-day understanding of feminism? I think that feminism is something that we haven't studied completely. Like, there's so many different avenues and ways we can 
infiltrate feminism. And I think that there's a way for, like, the way that I thought that feminism, or what feminism represented was just white women fighting for, you know, equal rights. And we can include some of the other, but not all of the others. So I think that as the others, we have an opportunity to create our own spaces. And if I didn't feel like what was being represented fit fit in with my ideology of what feminism meant, I can create that space for myself and women who look like me. So I think that kind of like collaborating with and speaking with women like you and kind of really understanding what feminism meant to different women of all different walks of life and generations, I was able to figure out how I kind of fit in, how I can help with the movement. And I think that's what's so complicated about it all is because like no two women are affected by different things and there's so many intersecting things in all of it. And I think sometimes as a society, we really want to like put nice bows on things and be like, this is what it is and this is to its helping and let's all work together. And the truth is like me and you do things together and you've helped me understand, I think, intersectionality through Sad Girls Club and just through being your friend a lot. But it's not the same for anyone. It's not the same for people in England as it is in America. It's not the same for anyone. And that's a really hard thing to come to terms with, I think, because it's like, wait, then what are we all fighting for together? You want to, like, people want to define something and make it pretty black and white, but feminism doesn't have to be black and white, and that's the beauty of it. It's, It's something that we can learn from on a major, major level, and we can also just, you know, kind of grow together. It's not something we should feel bad about because we can't help out in the same way that maybe a woman of color or someone of your stature can help out in, but I can find my place and do as much as possible in my place, in my position, within my community. And I think that's the best thing possible. Yeah, and I also think if there's like a good way of looking at it, feminism, because it is so broad, gives us a space to fight other battles that we might not necessarily be included in because yes. we can do it under that, which I, I kind of love as well. Yes, and that's the I'm, I'm a huge like learn-through experience type of girl. So listening to other people's problems and issues and it's like damn I didn't think about that but that is a real issue now I can get on board and help you fight that problem and tell my friends about this issue and get them on board so it's it's a huge domino effect where I think it's now happening on a, a level playing field it's not just we're wearing like the pink hats and is marching <laughs> and that's it you know it's kind of it's 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 a bunch of different branches and I'm really really proud of that yeah did you so did no one ever talk to you about feminism growing up like what was it like in your family Feminism was never a conversation that was had. I don't even remember hearing that word growing up. It was really, it was very much like the woman goes to school, she'll kind of cook the meals, and you hope to get like a a position as like a nurse or a doctor, and that's like the height of everything. And the man is essentially supposed to take care of the family. So it was really just not feminist at all. I didn't grow up in a feminist household and didn't know that it wasn't feminist until I actually became an, an adult. And it wasn't even like, 21, 22, it was like age 25, 26, where I was like, damn, all these things that I was taught are completely wrong. Like, let's start over. How do I start over as a grown ass woman? You know? Yeah. So it's kind of just, I'm still on the journey of learning. And I feel like you learn through experiences, you learn through meeting other people and having conversations and learning what they need, learning their needs and seeing how you can combine forces and produce results together. Yeah, I love that. Um, I also really like in the book how you talk about your questions around kind of still enjoying chivalry and, you know, certain things in relationships and with men and how you felt that that kind of took away from your feminism. To me, I think 
that is really like one of the lies we've been told about what feminism is. And, you know, I think it does off put a lot of girls. How do you feel about that now that you're a bit further along your feminist journey? (laughs) (laughs) I definitely like I was thinking about that section. I was like, damn, I wish I can go back and like rewrite that part because it's, it's, it's totally like what I thought feminism was against. Like, okay, if you're a feminist, you can't have the guy pay for your meal like you have to go dutch you know or you can't have the guy open the door for you it has to be you open the door for him sometimes you know it has to be that collaboration and it's like it can be like that anyway but it doesn't have to be so black and white well i'm a feminist so this can't happen you can't do this because it's against my feminist religion you know and it's kind of just a larger conversation than just that you know there are bigger problems (laughs) and within feminism so it's kind of like learning that and that doesn't even come up in conversation at all and it's just like oh if i hold the door for my boyfriend it's like whatever if he holds the door for me it's like cool but there are huger problems and bigger fish to fry, for sure. And I also sometimes think if we were more equal, those kind of gestures would have no, like, connotations behind it. Yes. So they would just be really nice. Mm-hmm. And it's like, actually, we'd all be... Basically, we'd all be able to enjoy chivalry more <laughs> exactly. if we had equality. Because sometimes I get upset with my boyfriend. I'm like, you didn't hold the door for me. He's just like, yeah. oh, okay, like my bad you know but it's not, it's not even a huge thing to even like make a comment about but we've been just trained in society that this should happen all yeah. the time or else you're a bad person if you don't do it that one time you do have the most lovely boyfriend all time <laughs> i have to say i'm very it's jealous very <laughs> um i really want to talk about the links between mental health and feminism um because for me that's something i think about a lot and i feel hasn't really been talked about that much tell me a bit about how you founded your incredible group sad girls club so i founded sad girls club in january of 2017 when we met when we first locked eyes (laughs) it it happened on accident i was going through my worst year of depression and i i'm a filmmaker first and i documented my worst year of my depression created a film for my friends and family because i I had just exited a five-year relationship that was really abusive and they didn't know, really know how I was mentally and physically any type of way, but they saw everything on Instagram and were like, oh, you're having fun. You're in, you're at South yeah. by Southwest. You're doing all these cool things. But I was really like having the worst time of my life mentally throughout that time. So I released the film and I released it on Instagram, very millennial-like. And from there, I received like a huge, huge amount of women from around the world who just wanted advice and suggestions to be more open within their mental health journeys. So within the next, like, two weeks after that, I released, I created a Sad Girls Club platform on Instagram. And I just said, like, come to this page. I'll answer whatever questions you want to be answered. I'll give you the top statistics. Whatever you need, I'll get every, everything will be current and I'll make it nice for you. It'll be pretty. It'll be gorgeous. Like, just stick with me. I'll make it happen. And I just would take suggestions and post things about PTSD and, you know, what are what are trigger warnings and why they're important. And just, I became, I, I started learning about my own mental health through Sad Girls Club. So it's it's a beautiful, beautiful club it's amazing and i think a few of the girls from sad girls club are in the book which is something yes. i'm really proud of the incredible m and bromwin Swati. yes Swati. um and i think for me feminism has really helped my mental health in so many ways i think finding something to fight for made me feel really like invigorated finding something bigger than myself mm-hmm. and i also think understanding a lot of the trauma and abuse that I went through when I was younger that gave me the PTSD that you know I kind of suffered with I think realizing that a lot of that linked to feminist issues and gender issues really helped me realize it wasn't my fault 
how like where a lot of what Sad Girls Club is about is feminism and empowerment and you know when you come to one of these meetings the girls are just incredible and they're all going on protests and marches and it's it's so intertwined with what you're doing was that a goal did you do that on purpose or did it just emerge it just emerged like I am very grassroots with what the Sad Girls Club brand represents and I want it to be not just Elise Fox's voice or not just Emily Odessa's voice. It's a community. It's a communal <laughs> voice. It's like, what do you want to learn about? And it's going to continue to be something that I'm always fishing into the community to see what they want to talk about. So it's very current. And it just so happens that we all want women's rights at the same yeah. time. So it works out. And we are fighting mental health issues. We're empowering one another as women, as women of color, as just women in general, as also empowering our men of color and men in general to speak about these issues. So it's a conversation that happens in each community. And it's not just on the website or on Instagram, it happens in real life. And I think I'm happy that we're all on the same mission and we're fighting and we're fighting to be feminist, the best feminist we can be. Yeah. And do you feel that that, because I think often activism is seen as like antagonistic to mental health. Do you think there is a place where it actually helps and can kind of make you feel better? Yes. I don't think that activism doesn't, like for me, I, I tried to march a few times in New York City and it gives me such terrible anxiety. I feel yeah. like it's I'm more of a problem than like yeah. helping a solution. So I think this is my form of activism that isn't as, you know, in the field. You know, I'm helping out in within the community. It's it's on the smaller level, but I can cultivate these smaller communities that spread and they're within their own communities and cities and countries. So I think that it's it's my own form of activism. Activism doesn't have to be one type of thing. It doesn't look one type of way. And it's like a sneaky way to also educate the community as well as help them in a system and fight the stigma at the same time. Yeah, completely. I think the thing of the anxious feminist is very true. <laughs> and if you don't want to go on marches because it makes you anxious, I have lots of experience with that. So don't worry. So does Elise. <laughs> um, the, the young girl... So this book, my goal with this book was really for it to be for young teenage girls because I think, you know, those are the girls that if you get them now to join the feminist army, then, you know, they're going to be in it forever. I think what I've seen, and it's mostly through, like, hanging out with the girls from Sad Girls Club, is this real new wave of feminism that is so different from anything I've known before. How do you kind of see feminism manifesting differently among the young girls that you work with? I think that for a while like our generation really cared about how they were perceived and how they looked in every aspect of their lives. But with this new generation, they're like, I don't give a damn. This is what I want to fight for. I don't care if I have to protest outside all night. I don't care if I have to wear my boobies out to, to make a stance. You know, it's like they really are for the cause. And in a different way where we're like so inspired by them and we yeah. like, I want to put everything into you because I don't know if I still have the guts to do what you do. But they have that like ambition that I think was kind of lacking. And it's something that is really, really from like the 70s, 80s and when the marches were massive. And I think that it's something that I find just so incredible. I'm inspired by Emily, who's like my 18-year-old intern and assistant. And she's just, she goes to every protest, every march. And it's it's a new way of feminism. And it's a new way of kind of like beating the man. <laughs> yeah. And she's just, she's in the book and she's just so like open about everything she is. And it's so incredible. I just would have love to be like that when I was her age like I think Truly. it would have she's incredible um I love her a lot I think a lot of people see social media as being very against the fight of modern modern women and kind of really encouraging like 
bad body standards and people to obsess and compare. And for me, social media has been the most incredible force for good in my life. You know, when I was 15 and in a wheelchair and couldn't leave my room, it was where I found my friends. And now it's where I get most of my feminism and, you know, mental health support and everything. How do you, you're such a force for good online. How do you see those, what do you respond to those people that kind of say that social media is bad for women and bad for our mental health? I think that we put a lot of pressure on, like, Kevin from Instagram to be, like, the savior <laughs> of everything. And we are in full control over what we put into that platform. Like, we post what we want to post. There's nothing that is—we're we're not made to post anything. We can post everything that we want to post. So if you want to post things that are inspiring and are about a movement or a cause, you can do that. And I think a lot more people and women in the communities are banding together and finding these hashtags to like find the communities and band together for a positive force instead of just, you know, posting just pretty pictures or nice booty pics, which I appreciate a booty pic every once in a while. Yeah, but there's also exactly there's, we're we're kind of taking control of the narrative in a way that I I don't think we were before. We kind of just were sheep and just following suit as to what we should kind of post. Oh, it's swimsuit season. Let's post the photo on the beach. Oh, it's vacation time. Like, let's go on holiday and take a bunch of photos. But now we're just like, no, no, no. This is an issue. Like, these are huge issues. Like, Colin Kaepernick just got signed with Nike. We should talk about this instead of talking about, like, the end of summer Labor Day plans. Yeah. So I think we're now becoming more in control of the narrative and knowing that we can create our own platforms and have full control over the platform instead of just, you know, kind of, like, pointing fingers. Yeah, completely. Um... So I think, so one of the things that this book is based around is the lies that we've been told about what it means to be a woman and a feminist and a man as well. What are some lies that you think you kind of internalised and were told about what it means to be a woman? I was always told as a woman I should be kind of passive. Like I should just be not the head of the household for sure. I should kind of be the support of the head of the household. I won't be like the queen of the castle, but I can also just have like a good seat if I play my cards right. And it was, there was, I was taught like there's no success without a college degree. Like there's nothing you can do without a college degree, especially as a woman of color, especially as a first generation woman of color in America. So I always was, I was brought up with like, I hate school. I do, I'm a great student, but I just didn't like the notion of we're all being fed the same thing. Like we learn on different levels at different speeds, but we're all being taught the same lessons. This doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. So I just never followed suit with that. And I always thought there was more to life than just being the sidekick to the man in our lives. Like it's cool to have like a companion and to be equal, but you don't have to be one notch lower. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, are you comfortable talking about your relationship that you were in before you started Circles Club? Yeah. How did that kind of inform your feminism or how you saw yourself or anything like that, that experience that you went through? It inadvertently did. I didn't set out like, okay, after this relationship, I'm going to be the best feminist in the world. Yeah. It was kind of just me. I was in a five-year relationship. It ended pretty abruptly after like my like second suicide attempt after I found out a bunch of stuff about our relationship. And I was dropped back into New York City after five years my friends were different. You know, everything kind of changed about New York. It was super gentrified, even the same. The bodegas were gone. You know, yeah. everything was different. So I kind of had to learn, relearn my city that I had grown up in. I was living on the same street that I had grown up on. Wow. The people were different. The environment was different. And I had to really, like, see myself in a different light. I didn't have any self-confidence. I wouldn't look in a mirror at all. I didn't have a mirror in my room for months. Wow. I, like, didn't have a job for a while. And I just kind of had to start from scratch and really, really, really learn to love myself and that was the hardest thing in the world like 
of course, you spend the days in bed crying, and then you get one day where you go outside and you feel like you're on top of the world and you're like Beyonce, and then you just yeah. retreat back into your house for a week. But it was a process that I would not like give up for the world because it definitely made me who I am today. Like to just have that alone time. And I think that it's really interesting and heartbreaking that like you know if you've grown up being told that you're meant to be at the service of a man and then you're with a man that treats you like no one should ever treat another human being in the world it is that it can kind of feel like the end of the world like I know that so well even with women I know whose husbands have died or whose husbands have cheated on them it's like we are told that that's meant to be one of the most important things in your life and then when it disappears you do have to rebuild yourself Absolutely. And it's it's something that you have to you just have to relearn all these things that you've been trained and since kind of since you've been having the conversation of dating and having a spouse. It's like, all right, so I have to love myself in a completely different way and accept being alone with myself, which is is a scary thing too, just being alone in your own company and kind of unwriting all the wrongs that you've experienced. Yeah, completely. Do you do you ever find your I think you're like you know, a hero to so many people and you're a hero to me and a lot of young women look up to you. Is that ever, is there ever pressure with that? Or do you ever feel pressure to be a role model or a perfect feminist or a perfect, you know, mental health person? Or <laughs> I think the beauty of it is that because I am a mental health activist, like people don't really bully me as much. So I can be like <laughs> as off as possible like I sometimes I don't post on the sad girls club page and I'm I will post on the page two days later like hey I had an anxiety attack and I didn't know what to post so here I am now I hope you like this post bye and I can be completely raw and real I don't really subscribe to perfection because I can't attain that and I can't maintain that you know so I think it's it's something that we are this generation is so amazing because we are we can create our own brands we can create our own platforms on these pages and be who whoever the hell we want to be yeah so i'm gonna be myself because that's the easiest person to be and i don't really want to fake it to make it for anyone yeah and it's uh you're so amazing but it's been so amazing to watch you make that because i do think like as women and as you know for, for for me the idea that someone could build a platform based on talking about their mental health when I was younger or based on talking about feminism like those were seen I saw those as things you shouldn't talk about or things that you should keep quiet and it's just been amazing to watch how open people are when you do talk about that absolutely it's it's nothing I predicted I was terrified when I released that film I believe I've seen you maybe the same week or a week after I released the film. Yeah. And I was just so nervous. Like, I, I didn't know what to... I had to even bring it up to people. Like, I just re- released the film. Oh, what is it about? And I'm like, it's about the past year of my life. <laughs> oh, cool. Like, what else? And I'm like, it's about, like, my mental health. And I was just... I had to, like, really piece it out. And after maybe three weeks, I was like, oh, it's a film about my mental health. It, it, even that conversation after the film was done, it was hard for me to tell people about the film that was already created and seen yeah. by other people. It's It's crazy how you just have, like that mind warp of this is still shameful and the stigma still exists even when you want to talk about it in that moment, you know? Do you think the stigma around mental health is different for men and women? Absolutely. I think the stigma, it's a bit easier. And I live in the States, so it's a bit more, like, privileged with the conversation of mental health. And I live in New York City, so there's so many events and and things happening and the conversation is really, really fruitful right now. But I also make our events open to both genders and there's always just two maybe three guys at the events <laughs> including my boyfriend so it's not really it's not really something that men are open to as of right now and I don't think there are enough representatives 
from men of color, from men in general who are speaking about mental health and are relatable for to, to allow the space for men to talk about it? Yeah, I think mental health is one of those really interesting areas where I actually feel women have the upper hand because I think mm. one of the things we're told you know just about women in general is that we are more emotional and we talk about our feelings more and we're always encouraged to talk about our feelings and you know and then I think that's made at least for me it's made it easier to talk to my friends about my mental health and I know for my brother it's been a lot harder for him because it's like boys just don't talk about that and mm-hmm. men are meant to be kind of closed off and all of that and I think that's really one of the ways that feminism Though that sexism holds men back, you know, almost more than women. It's so true. And it's, I really feel that if your mental health isn't stable, the rest of your life, anything you do won't be even. You know, I think that that's something you you really have to have a balance on. And it's something that men aren't as prone to talk about to anyone about. And it's, it's, it's a huge issue. And I'm really like, I'm like, I have Sad Girls Club. How can I get to the men now? How can I get to the young boys? And it's, it's a huge conversation that I, I strongly, strongly encourage it. But I think it's up to like, men as well or a couple guys to just speak up and like I'll be your ally I'll help you out in any way yeah, possible in the same way that you did for women of colour and mental Absolutely. health because I think it's not like some white woman could have come along to you and been like so Elise like I'm starting this group for you <laughs> this is what like, you need um, go away <laughs> I'm fine <laughs> you know me Yeah. Um, so Sad Girls Club is very much for women of colour and I know that it's open to everyone but I think one of the reasons it's so extraordinary is you're giving this space for girls that have often been underrepresented in the mental health conversation was that a very conscious choice and why did you come to that decision yes when I first released the film the first I feel like 20 emails or so were from women of color yeah and many of them didn't really speak English they were from different countries so it was a global problem amongst women of color that I saw within like the first week of me releasing the film and I wanted to create that space I I don't remember being young and having a representative who was a woman of color on TV saying like I have a mental illness but I have an amazing life and I do all these things and I didn't have anyone even after I came out with my mental health issues that I could relate to in the media so I wanted to create that space and be like the face for the girls to have someone to look at and say like I didn't have, like, the greatest life. You know, I was, like, I had a really cool job. I had really cool friends, but I was also happy. I was finally, I finally found self-love and happiness, and I wanted my story to resonate with girls who look like me. And I wanted to start a club for girls who look like me and also include other women as well, but just make the club primarily for them so they know that they have a space that's that's truly for them. Yeah, and I think you've talked you've talked to me as well about, like, the pressures specifically within your family and your culture around mental health and around that conversation and kind of being told that it wasn't something that you talked about. Absolutely. I'm Caribbean, so my mom is from St. Kitts, and I'm a first-generation Caribbean, so that was really the only conversation we had that was, like, a serious one was about our grades in school. Like, I don't care what else happens. As long as your grades are fine, then we don't really have to talk about anything else. And I was told... Whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Don't let anyone show you. Don't show your emotions outside of the house. And you kind of just, if you can't show your emotions outside of the house, if you're crying outside and someone says what's wrong and something happened at home or happened in your community or in your family, it's like you can't answer that question. So you kind of repress things that you really want to talk about or just express. And it was, it's like you have that lump in your throat and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I know that feeling and I don't want girls to feel that way anymore. Yeah. 
Oh, I think that's so interesting. Mm. That thing of the lump is so true. So true. Yeah. Like, you can walk around all day like, I'm so confident. And then someone asks, like, are you okay? How's your day? You're like, oh, I need to talk to you. Yeah. Or something else really random goes wrong. Like, you, like the tube is late. And yeah. you're like... <laughs> Just weeping. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, what's another lie that you've been told you think about being a woman? I've been told that women should... I'm, like, wearing the big poofy dress right now. But women, to succeed, you have to dress like a woman, in quotes. Like, wearing a dress, wearing a skirt. And I've been told that, even in recent years, as a filmmaker, like, you, if you wore more skirts, you would probably be a lot further in your career. Wow. If you wore more dresses, and I'm very much a, like, Nikes and sweatpants type of girl, you know? Yeah. And I, I, like, don't subscribe to that. Like, why do I have to change my image to fit in in something where I'm faceless? Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, I know this is can be quite an annoying question to be asked, but I think because I've got you here asking questions, <laughs> I feel like it's okay. Um, what do you think are, is maybe one thing that white women can do within their own feminism to make it more intersectional, in, intersectional and to make it include everyone? I think, honestly, what we're doing right now, like collaborating with the source, like you want to work with a woman of colour or help people of colour, find a woman of color who's doing something similar to you and see how you can help each other within your platforms because that domino effect, that grassroots approach is how we're going to grow and expand in such a natural way. And you'll find people who are really passionate about your projects. Like I have women who want to collaborate with me and they're, they're white women and I'm like, oh, cool, you have a platform where I wouldn't reach these women in any other way or I might, but it might take me a little bit longer, but let's cut out the middleman and collaborate, work together, see if we can put on an event or just provide resources or anything for these girls. So I think just finding someone who's in the same community as you or has the same vision a woman of color or anyone of color who you think kind of fits the mold and work together like community is is definitely key yeah i love that and it's also so much easier than i think so many people think it's going to be you don't have think, to assume yeah i think but also i think with so much of feminism people think you need to like read a book or like st- i mean you should read this book that we've just published absolutely but um you don't need to like do a degree in it you don't need to like right. fully understand what that word means you can just go head first and see what happens that's what i did amazing what advice would you give to a young feminist that was just starting her feminist journey find a sector of feminism that really speaks to you because that's what's going to impact your life and also keep you sustained as you fight this fight that might take one, two, ten years to complete. Mm -hmm. So I think just like find where you you fit in most and build your community. Community is key. Yeah, I completely agree. I think for me around the time that we met was like around the time of the US election in 2016 and that was a big moment when I met a lot of groups of women that were kind of fighting for, you know, against Trump and f- around the election. And it made me realise how many different communities there were under this one word. And I think, yeah, just going and, like, sitting in people's living rooms and, like, drinking tea <laughs> and realising, like, oh, I'm like her and I'm not like her and I believe what she says and I don't believe what she says. And that's how you build your own type of feminism. Absolutely. Everything, I feel like our spirits are internal. Like, you can't just look at someone and say, I'm going to relate to her because we both have pink hair, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's listen to what they have to say first and connect with their community and what fits. Yeah, and it's also realising that you might not agree with everything every feminist thinks, and that's completely fine. Very true. Um, Because we all have very different views (laughs) on this topic. 
Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, or even if you didn't, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies, published by Penguin Random House on the 4th of October 2018, is available to buy now via the link in the description of this episode. All of the royalties from each book sold go to the amazing UN organisation Girl Up, who is supporting girls across the world. For more information and to join our gang, please follow us on Instagram at at feminists. Thank you so much to Audio Boom for helping us get it out there and to the wonderful Pink Feminists who've joined us as guests. If you enjoyed this episode, we have some really fun feminist events coming up with even more of our contributors and we would love to have you. There's a link to our website where you can buy tickets in the description of this episode and I cannot wait to see you there. Is there anything you want to say to say goodbye? Thank you for having me. (laughs) Please share your feedback on the book. I would love to hear from you. Yeah. Okay. Bye.